When Daniel asked me to speak a couple of weeks ago about today, I began to meditate on what the Lord would have me say, and my thoughts began to turn to Easter. We are in the Easter season, and two week, a week and a half ago, there was Ash Wednesday, and we're now in the season of Lent, which some church traditions celebrate. So I began to think about Easter, and which comes next month, and it culminates in the Holy Week, it begins with the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ and cleansing the temple and all the things that took place in that last week, and his trial and crucifixion and his glorious resurrection. And so I wanted to take up a thought today that was expressed by first by John the Baptist and talk about John for just a moment. And the thought is Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist was an extraordinary person, chosen to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ and to present him to the nation of Israel. He was announced to his father by the, by the angel Gabriel. And of him, the Lord Jesus Christ said, this is whom, of John, this is whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger, messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there was not one greater than John the Baptist. And he was the man chosen to present the Lord Jesus Christ to Israel. He's really an interesting study. There are eight things about him that are very significant. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the only prophet who was foretold in the Old Testament. His birth was announced by the angel Gabriel. He's the only one who ever prophesied in the womb that we know of. He introduced the Messiah to Israel. He baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him. He heard the Father's voice. He passed from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. What an extraordinary man. And there... He was the first person on the scene after 400 years of silence. The last prophet in Israel was Malachi. And then during that 400 years, Israel went through the, the Alexander the Great and the breakup of the kingdom and the Seleucid Empire and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and... The, the, the Maccabee Rebellion and the reconsecration of the temple. 400 years, that's a long time. And the, without a prophet, and the earth was bone dry from the word of the Lord. And so John comes on the scene. The ground is very hard. And he appears on the scene, and I think he's like a plowman who comes and plows and works the ground and prepares it for the Lord Jesus Christ. His ministry is so powerful and his anointing is so great that without radio, television, telegraph, it flyers, no one going out and advertising him, people come out from all over Jerusalem and Israel to see him. And a missionary once shared with me a vision that God gave him of John's ministry. 
And you can imagine, or perhaps you've walked across a flowing stream and you've felt the strength of that stream move against your legs. Or you've sat down when you were a child and played in the stream and you felt the stream flowing over you. And the vision that God gave this missionary was people sitting on the ground listening to John the Baptist. And the flow of the anointing was so great that they sat back on their hands. The, the anointing just flowed over them. And so he was chosen to introduce the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he introduces him is very important. Now, John's message, and even the message of the Lord when he first began to preach, was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's not how he introduces the Lord Jesus. We might expect him to say, Israel, this is your Messiah. But what he says instead is, and only John tells us this, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, it's doubtful that Israel really understood or anybody understood the, the fullness and the richness of this. But Israel could understand the Lamb of God. And so we want to look today at Jesus as the, as the Passover Lamb as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the concept of the Passover Lamb, we all know this, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. And in that chapter, Moses talks to the, to the children of Israel. He conveys, the Lord actually speaks to Moses, and he says, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And you shall keep it to the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it at the evening at twilight. And so the lamb is kept for four days. And during those four days, he's inspected. Now in Leviticus chapter 23, God reinforces what he said in Exodus about what are called holy convocations. These are the feasts of the Lord. Sometimes people call them the feasts of Israel, but they're not. They're the feasts of the Lord. And Leviticus 23, one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament where he sets out the holy convocations, and these include Passover, the Pentecost, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the word for this holy uh, for rehearsal is a Hebrew word called mikrah, and it means an assembly, a calling, a convocation. But notice this word rehearsal. It means a rehearsal. And so here the Lord was saying to Israel, I'm giving you these important feasts, and there's incredibly important symbology in these feasts. And you're going to rehearse this every year, and someday the reality of these feasts, the spiritual reality behind these feasts will be manifested to you. So here are the main points of Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's taken on the 10th day of the month. 
It's a lamb for an entire house. The lamb must be without blemish, so it must be inspected. And it's slain on the 14th day of, as a sacrifice. Now, to begin the, the Holy Week or Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, John gives us some clues about that week. And in John chapter 12, he says, he talks about six days before Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany. And Bethany, of course, is where the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days. What a powerful miracle. So then he comes and, and Mary and Martha make him a supper. He comes six days before Passover. I think the next day they made the supper for him. And then Mary that night anoints him with spikenard and anoints his feet. So about four days, so the next day, he came on the day six. On day five was the uh, supper. And the next day is the 10th of Nisan. And so the Lord Jesus Christ rides on the foal of a donkey. And Jerusalem is filled with people who are coming in for Passover. There are multiple hundreds of thousands, perhaps even a million people. And there are a great many people who came to Jesus, to, to Bethany, where, the, um, where Jesus did the miracle of raising Lazarus from the bed, dead. Because John tells us in John chapter 12 and 9, he said a lot of people showed up because they wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus. Now, where is Bethany? Bethany is to the east of Jerusalem. And there's really something wonderful and beautiful that's happening here that's not readily apparent. So the next day, a great multitude comes. They come to the feast, and when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is riding on a donkey, and the scripture says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, and that, of course, is quoting from Matthew 21. And then Luke tells us, as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near to the Mount of Olives. And that's to the east. Okay, So there's something wonderful that's going on that's not readily apparent. This is about the 10th of Nisan. So a map of Jerusalem, the next map. This is a map of Jerusalem, this map. Now, this is north, south at the bottom, east over here, east over there, and west on this side. And the Lord Jesus Christ is out in the celebrating in this throng, and he's coming in from the east. Guess what else is happening today? Where are the Passover lambs being raised? where the shepherds watch their flocks in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is due south of Jerusalem. 
And so on the 10th of Nisan, the day to take the Passover lambs, all the Passover lambs are coming up from Bethlehem to be, to be uh, there for four days. And from the east, the Passover lamb, God's Passover lamb, who's been kept for 4,000 years, is coming in. And the people are rejoicing and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. So on the 10th of Nisan, the Lamb of God is taken. Now, the second thing, or the third thing that we're looking at is the Lamb has to be without blemish. And that means that the Lamb has to be inspected. The Lamb has to be put to the test. So during this week, the Lord Jesus Christ is put to the test. And there were multiple, multiple irregularities in the trial. People have written books about how, um, how wretched the, the Sanhedrin treated him and how he was treated unrighteously in his trials. Books have been written. It was, they were held at night. It was supposed to be during the day. It was held in a private house. It was supposed to be uh, done in the temple for a capital crime. So... In all, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced six trials when, he, when we look at it. First, he came before Annas in John chapter 18. Then he was taken from there to Caiaphas. And we see that in Matthew 26. And then to the Sanhedrin in Matthew 27, just for a brief meeting. Then they took him before Pilate. So he comes before Pilate first. He comes, then he goes before Herod in Luke chapter 23. And then he comes back to Pilate. Now, by this time, Pilate realizes that he is totally innocent and that for envy, the Pharisees have brought him. And Pilate really is trying to find a way to release him when we read the story carefully. And neither did the Pharisees find any fault in him. Because John tells us in chapter 19, he says, Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they said, Crucify him, crucify him. And, and uh, Pilate said, You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. Their answer was, He made himself to be the Son of God. Therefore, he ought to die. So three times, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Neither did Herod. So the Lamb of God is inspected, and no fault can be found. He's a lamb without blemish. The last consideration is that the lamb was slain as a sacrifice. The Passover lamb was slain sacrificially. And this leads us to understand to ask the question why the Lord Jesus Christ had to be crucified. Now, the Passover lamb is slain on the 14th of Nisan, and the pr principal reason for putting to death, or principal means of putting to death by the Jews was stoning. And they called this a righteous death, but that would not have satisfied the necessity for the Lord in his, uh, in his sacrifice. But in 6 or 7 A.D., there was a Roman procurator named Caponius. 
And in coming, there had been a lot of murder by the, fair, the family of Herod. And so the Romans took away from the Sanhedrin the power of capital punishment. They no longer had this ability. So it had to be capital punishment could only be administered by the Romans. And of course, with the principal Jewish method of death being stoning, the Romans used their way, which is crucifixion. So I've, I didn't understand this concept really until I was an adult. And that is the way our Lord Jesus was sacrificed and his, his atonement came through Leviticus, a verse in Leviticus, he who is hanged on a tree is cursed by God. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ was placed on the cross, then God could turn his back on him and he could say, Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he became a curse for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that, well, first we see that in him, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 is fulfilled. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Paul tells us in Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In Galatians, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So, the words, the Lord word, the Lord's word, in, in uh, Exodus are, is fulfilled. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's one other aspect of Christ's redemption that the church at large doesn't really think about, and that is a, one of the songs we sang today brings it out very beautifully. Isaiah in chapter 14, speaking about the fall of Lucifer, he says, How are you fallen from heaven, O son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? Or you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest parts of the earth. Ezekiel chapter 28 says, By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. We don't realize, it's not widely taught in the church, that the very heavens were profaned by Lucifer's rebellion against God. Now, not the throne of God, but the parts that Lucifer was allowed to uh, ascend to was profaned 
by his rebellion against God. And so Hebrews talks about how everything must be purified with blood, and without blood, there's the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And verse uh, Hebrews 9.23 says, It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, meaning the tabernacle on earth and the temple, to be purified with sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices, meaning the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 9 of Hebrews verse 11 says, But Christ came as the high priest of good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and bulls, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And we sang that song today, this wonderful song, His blood has cleansed the heavens. He has set the captive tree free. And so this is just a brief look at the Passover lamb and Jesus, how the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all the aspects of the Passover lamb. Today, here, we, a lot of us are facing trials, many kinds of trials. Christians all over the earth are being persecuted. The, we have wars and rumors of wars. But because our Lord Jesus Christ has bought our redemption, because he has purified the heavens, we have the ultimate hope. We have the greatest hope. So what is our end? Well, it's this in Revelation. So when we go through our trials, when we go through our tests, when we lose dear ones, we need to keep this hope in our heart. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I also heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men. He shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them and be their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Father in heaven, we bless you today for this great salvation that you have given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, he became a curse for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And Lord, that we might walk in a way that will please you, bring joy to your heart, And Lord, that we might keep our face fixed upon you and our hearts set upon the journey to Mount Zion. Father, we bless you today. We lift up the nations, the Christians around the world today who are suffering and being persecuted, and we cry out for mercy for our brethren around the world. Father, we love you and bless you. And we commit all of this into your hand. We love you, Abba, in Jesus' name. Amen.